You are listening to Zen and the Art of Triathlon. Well, hey there, all you triathlete studs and studettes. This is Coach Brett with another great episode of Zen and the Art of Triathlon, the podcast where we go long on endurance and learn a lot about ourselves along the way. All right, with all the pandemic coronavirus lockdown going on, things have been a little bit hectic around the Zen Tri Studios, and it's been a little bit since I've put out a show. So I need to reintroduce myself in case you've never heard the podcast before, in case it's new to you. Zen and the Art of Triathlon is a show that I've been producing since about 2004, maybe 2005. It's the very first podcast about endurance sports, which also makes it the longest running. And also I am an ultra distance endurance athlete and a coach, along with having done 15 Ironmans and a whole bunch of half Ironmans and Olympics and and such. I've also done a lot with the individual sports, which allows me to coach and talk about them For example, I've swam 22 miles nonstop across Lake Tahoe, which is one mile longer than the English Channel, and it's 6,000 feet elevation, and I did it coming from sea level. (laughs) And also, I grew up on swim team and was varsity uh, swim team captain and also a state finalist in uh, several freestyle events. On the bike, I grew up biking all over the place and also got into mountain biking and then eventually into triathlon. And... I'm the local resident 100-mile Grand Fondo bike champ, I think three times in a row. They canceled it this year. (laughs) And in the process of building up bicycling proficiency, I at times have gotten my FTP up around the low to mid-300s. Also, on the run, I have raced many trail run ultramarathons and also finished a 100-miler, which was probably the most difficult thing I have ever done. And then to top it all off a few years ago, I put it all together and did an Ultraman, which is a three-day, two to two and a half times uh, Ironman, which ends in a double marathon on day three. It was tough. But anyway, and I'm here to give you tips and tricks as I take you with me as I record during the week doing all my training and covering the news and doing interviews so that you can also pick them up and we can all be racing and training and living the endurance lifestyle to the best of all of our abilities. Okay, now that we got that out of the way, I want to go ahead and admit that this show is going to be too long. I realize that. And it's because I cover a lot since I put out my last episode. And one of the reasons is I take you with me during this uh, past week of training, and it was a 15-hour training week, which is pretty typical for what I do. But I cover a lot of things as they come to me while I, while I do them. But when it starts to drag on and you don't want to hear it anymore, remember, you can always go to the show notes and see what you want to listen to. And you can fast forward. It doesn't bother me whatsoever. If it's slow and you want to speed it up, hit double speed. Um, I'm personally trying to get back in the groove of talking to the mic, and it's sort of awkward. It's weird that I kind of lost my uh, touch a little bit with uh, speaking into the mic and getting things out 
uh, efficiently. So the show seems inefficient at times. But the big thing, a lot like getting back into the pool, if you've taken a long break like a lot of us had to, the big thing is to just get it done, get it out there, go, and then we can improve on it as we repeat it over and over and over again, and we'll get better at it. Real quick, looking through the highlights of this podcast, if you can't go look at the show notes right now, I do a long-term review of the Garmin Varia. I talk about the Zwift Preferences app and how to ride the Watopia waistband route. Um, I talk about a really cool way to watch video of bike races while on Zwift to make it more fun. I do a swim workout of the week, uh, which has got some pool boy and fins and stuff like that in it. It's a workout I've been doing lately. I talk about preloading for sodium to help you out for long, hot workouts if you live in the Northern Hemisphere. It's really helpful right about now. And I detail how it worked one day and how it did not work the next day. And also how to know if you are needing of training your legs or your lungs more, one more than the other. Uh, What happened when I got extremely dehydrated mountain biking, how I knew and how I tried to recover from it. It's extremely hot here. It's over 100 degrees for days in a row. And I did two long mountain bike uh, days in a row. <laughs> the second day was bad. I almost passed out while driving. That's all, it's all in, the, uh, in the episode that you can go listen to. And a really cool trick to clean your bike, especially mountain biking if it gets muddy, uh, if you drive somewhere and then bike and then drive home. And also how to finish your week with swimming to help you recover faster. And also how to start your weekend, like on Friday, the day before the weekend with a swim and why. Okay, so that is what we're going to cover on today's show. Plus there's a whole bunch of other stuff just mixed in randomly. Oh, and also, of course, I cover some triathlon and endurance sports news. We're gonna do that actually first. Big news is the coronavirus lockdown. Everything got turned on its head. The biggest one uh, that affected triathletes is like no swimming at all. And then in lots of places, no biking and running. And it is very difficult to get back into something when you haven't been doing it for a while. So let's use the example of swimming. The big thing with swimming, because it takes a lot of gear to go swim. And a lot of times people forget their gear when they go to the pool. So they forget things. So you need to be really, really gentle on yourself and not be uh, too judgmental when you start swimming again. And definitely don't try to pick right back up to where you left off with speed. You will injure your shoulders. You'll tear things up badly. Instead, just go to the pool first day. Just try to make it to the pool and figure out what's going on at the pool. That's a huge accomplishment day one. (laughs) Next time you go, day two, try to get in the water. If you got in the water on day one, consider yourself a hero. Uh, Day two, get in, try to swim. And then you'll start realizing all the stuff you've forgotten like your goggles or your swimsuit, things like that. You got to get back in the habit with all this stuff. And then keep your swim really short uh, because you will hurt a lot after doing that. And then day the third time you go back to the pool, you should have things a little bit more in order and should be able to start thinking about like a real workout. And then what I did was I just set myself for, I think like 15 minutes and then I built on it. And every time I went swimming, I tried to add a little bit more time and longer sets. And man, it, I thought I thought I was going crazy how difficult it was to get back up to where I was. And the 
uh, final result was maybe after like almost three weeks, I got back up to a full hour of swimming and doing things that I like. And I'm not up to my uh, cruising speed yet. I do Ironman swims in about an hour, give or take a minute. And that's about a 125 per 100 yards pace. And, but you gotta be able to sustain that like swimming easy. And I have a beeper on my watch that tells me if I'm keeping that pace every 100 yards. Every, I have a timer that goes off every minute and 25 seconds. So if I'm just swimming along and it beeps, the next time I hit the wall or the next time it beeps, I should be at the same spot in the pool. And right now I'm swimming at about a 126, 127. But it is increasing quickly and I'm just letting it, I'm letting the process take its, take its course. And it seems to be working really great. And as a coach, I know that that's actually what works anyway. So that's what, <laughs> that's what you gotta do. The other thing is people's lives are completely turned upside down. Schedules are all over the place. Someday, my, my personal situation is that some days I go into work and this is not a choice. This is what's required of me. Some days I gotta go into work and then some days I stay home. And then all my, I thought I was so smart about how I had accomplished all this stuff. And really, honestly, it was, a routine that I had set up that I had fine-tuned over all this time. And when the routine got screwed up, man, I got screwed up. It turns out I'm not that disciplined or that great that that just added up over time. And like trying to get back in, into some sort of other routine is really difficult. And it's difficult for everybody. So don't be too hard on yourself. And actually, we're learning a lot about ourselves with all this going on. And honestly... Currently, I have fit pretty easy uh, compared to um, a lot of other people. I completely understand that. You know, there's uh, a lot of uh, death and, and uh, unemployment and just heartbreaking uh, stuff going on right now and a lot of political uh, horror show going on, people fighting with each other and, and people not wearing masks. And I live in the South. Well, Southwest uh, Texas, and it is just embarrassing with how some people are acting about this and uh, not not doing what they need to do to keep themselves uh, safe and to actually uh, help others. Anyway, I don't want to go down that road too far, <laughs> but all kinds of bad habits have worked their way back into our lives, and it's your job to try to identify those bad habits and learn about yourself. We talk about that in this podcast all the time. But when you're faced with a challenge, you learn a lot about yourself. That's why we do these things. You do an Ironman, not because it's easy, and not just because it's hard, but because you're gonna find out who you really are about halfway through that run on the marathon. <laughs> you're gonna figure out exactly where you failed in your habits and in your training and in your life when you tried to tackle this thing and it's not working out exactly the way that you thought it was and that's okay. So um, we all just need to hang in there and keep just trying to improve on our, on our daily situation and get smarter as we learn about uh, all these changes in the world that are gonna go on. You know, there's all these downsides, all this bad stuff. You know, every once in a while I'll try to remember in the end, Hopefully there'll be some upsides. You know, a lot more of us will be able to work from home and have better schedules. And this, uh, be able to do a lot more 
meetings uh, virtually and doing a lot more triathlon virtually and, and just so many things that we're going to uh, see happening. Uh, the, the bike industry, oh my God, the, we're gonna learn so much more about the world about how things are made and who it takes to make them and appreciate it all over with everything shut down. Uh, the big news here is I live in a college town uh, I live in College Station, literally a college town, and uh, where Texas A&M is, and our economy is going to get crushed in a very bad way when football season doesn't happen. And I'm actually on uh, pins and needles waiting to see what happens. I definitely don't want football season to start, but I also definitely don't want to get laid off because I don't want... Um, I don't want all these people going to events where they're just spreading the coronavirus like crazy. And then also I have a 15 year old son and we had to choose about whether to send him into school or not. And we're seeing all these pictures and videos of crowded schools it, uh, and people just thinking somehow that they're not gonna catch this virus or somehow it won't affect other people. And both my parents are elderly. It sounds weird to say that, but my, uh, my parents are prime targets to die from this virus and it's not going to go well when when uh, lots of people like them and it is not going well when lots of people like them uh, get uh, infected and it's just it's just madness right now so just try to we all just need to try to hang in there and just do the best that we can that's all the advice i got uh, even though this is an advice show with this one I have no, <laughs> I have, I, I definitely, I definitely know what we should do, but people aren't doing it. So now what do you do? Which is a very Zen thing to, uh, to refer back to. Now, what do you do when people aren't doing what they should do? Now it shows who we really are and the real challenges begin. Okay. Let's just leave that there and keep moving on. As a family, we did take a short uh, vacation to Durango, Colorado. It turns out it was much safer there than it was in Texas. <laughs> Way more people wearing, everybody actually, wearing masks and keeping social distancing going and just fantastic, fantastic uh, situation. And we went there just to get uh, some time away and we went to a little cabin out in the middle of the forest and we never even saw the housekeeper or the, uh, the staff that, uh, that we, you know, rented it through, we got the, we got there and we rented it online and then we got there and then, the, you know, the key to it was on the doorstep and done. We never saw the staff, anything like that the entire time. We, we only saw a cabin neighbor like a few times and never got close to them. And then in town of Durango, Durango is super famous for mountain biking and lots of stuff, but it's just wonderful. And I've been there many times, although it's been a long time since I've been there, but I grew up in college going there a bunch and then right after college and spent a lot of time in the area, uh, Colorado, Silverton, Durango, uh, uh, let's see, Great Sand Dunes National Monument. Uh, and we did all that again. And then also uh, did not get a chance to go to Telluride. But Kai had never been there, and we rented him a really nice 
mountain bike. We brought our own mountain bikes, but when we got there, we decided to rent him one that was super nice and better, better fitted for the area. And he and I went mountain biking several times and it was wonderful. And I came back from this Durango vacation instead of being usually wiped out, like I usually am from my vacations, to being feeling amazing and recharged. It was just wonderful. And uh, one of the tricks that actually made it really nice was we took our dog with us. And having a dog with you is uh, a real tension reliever, and it makes the trip way more fun. Because <laughs> anytime you're bored or anytime there's an argument or anytime there's anything you know stressful going on, you can just turn to the dog and pet the dog and hug the dog and and talk you can you can pretend like the dog is talking <laughs> or talk to the dog uh like you're talking at the other person like our dog's name is zoe zoe tell mommy that she's being crazy and this is totally the wrong way to go down this down this road and it's funny and then uh you're leaving alleviating uh tension a little bit um okay so there's the durango trip out of the way uh let's see also i did quite a bit of gravel riding for a while, uh, but I don't have a gravel bike. And I did it on my mountain bike. And I did like uh, three hours, several three hour long gravel rides. And I loved it. And after one day of doing it, the next time I recruited Kai to go with me, and we rode gravel from a town near us all the way to the to National Forest to a lake that I used to grow up going to all the time and ended up at a, at a uh, campground. And it was just so great. I've got so many great things to say about gravel riding. It's so much fun. And the interesting thing is, is I get why you would want a, um, a more of a road bike instead of a mountain bike because the position on a mountain bike is so upright compared to a road bike that you do catch a lot more drag and it slows you down significantly. Um, so I could see the reason why you would want a dedicated gravel bike. Problem is, is I actually don't have any gravel roads right around me, so it's not very convenient to go gravel riding. And I definitely did enjoy it, though. It's sort of like mountain biking in that it's very engaging because you're constantly having to pick a path, you know? But it's faster, so you get to see more terrain and then... It's kind of like riding road because you're going faster and you're, you're seeing more of the countryside and it's pleasant, it's nice, lots of scenery. Uh, but at the same time, the one thing that makes it not like uh, riding road, it is so much safer because there's hardly any cars. So anyway, I just wanted to get it out there that I did that. And let's see, uh, I nearly broke my left shoulder to the point where I was laying on the ground whimpering and, and yelling in pain. And I was mountain biking with Kai and he and I had switched bikes and then also uh, like a week before. And then also I'd taken his bike in. His bike, his brakes were so bad that I had them uh, redo the, the brake pads and then adjust it. And oh, by the way, Kai got a job at the bike shop, which is really cool. And now the bike, the brakes were really grabby and my old bike, my bike is a 29er and this is a 27 and a half. So there's this one section of mountain biking that, uh, of the mountain biking park that we go to where it is insanely dangerous. There's caution signs everywhere. And I was, do, I was dropping in off of a, a small, I guess I'm gonna call it a cliff, <laughs> a cliff ledge. 
And the combination of a smaller wheel and lower stem height, lower head tube height. And then when I did grab the brakes, they, they were real grabby and they don't have good progression on them. And they, um, I flipped over the, the handlebars of the bike and landed square on my shoulder and then barely didn't go another 10 feet down the, um, the cliff. But yeah, I fell like 10 feet down, almost straight down and then barely, yeah, like almost did it again. And I couldn't move my left arm for probably a week. And that's right when the pools reopened around here. And I was like, oh my God. So I tried swimming, you know, because usually that's good therapy. Oh my God, it was a disaster. It was terrible. But now my shoulder's pretty good. In fact, the whole shoulder thing uh, may be gone. That injury, I've got another little uh, painful spot in my shoulder, but I've had that for a long time. Anyway, there was that injury. And then one time I was running and I tried to go running really fast, like schedule wise. And I ran out the door and started running and I didn't do enough of a, like a general warm up. I started running too fast and I took a hard left turn immediately while running down, down my driveway has a slight downhill and then it turns left and then there's another little slight downhill. And that left turn, running fast. I was, a, I was in a rush because I was late and I tweaked something in my left hip is all I thought at first. And then I was going to go out and run for an hour, so around six miles. And I'm jogging and it just gets worse and worse and worse. And by the end of the run, I couldn't run at all. And I was walking the last block and I was pretty much dragging my foot behind me, my leg behind me, my left leg, as I was walking. And there was people out walking and they were very concerned looking. <laughs> I looked like Frankenstein. And I figured it out with some research later that it was my SI joint. And I think the SI joint is a, a fixed joint in your, in your pelvis, uh, but sometimes you can pull it apart and it hurts really, really bad. So I couldn't run for about two weeks. And that is, uh, yeah, my second major injury during the, the uh, coronavirus thing. And what I did was I kept a log. I keep a log of all my injury. Um, every day I have a recurring task with comments in it where I, in ticktick.com, not TikTok, please, God, don't go there. But ticktick.com. And I... Go in there and update with my my aches and pains. Anything that I got. A lot of days I got nothing. And the um, then what I do is I hashtag it, and then I can click on that hashtag and then go find it uh, anytime. And it's nice that I've got a list of all my uh, all my stuff, so I can see if I've had something before and how I fixed it. If I've uh, I color code it. If if it's getting worse, it goes red to orange. If it's getting better, it goes uh, green, that I actually pretty much cured it. And the best way to know that you've cured it is you hadn't even thought about it in uh, a long time. And with the SI joint is, um, I went from not being able, I could barely walk at all, period, with both legs. I could barely walk at all. And then one day, after quite a few days, I could, like say three days, I could walk with a severe limp. 
and then it went from a severe limp to a medium limp and then after a few more days from a medium limp to a light limp and then from a light limp to no limp and then I started uh, trying to run in place and I could go I went from not being able to run in place at all to being able to run in place sorta to be able to run in place and then being able to run a few steps and then one day I finally could actually run a little bit and then a few days to a week or two later I totally forgot about it and I was able to run again with a <laughs> overcoming a major a major injury that had me um god like I needed a walking cane and everything uh for a while there Anyway, that's all of that. Let's go ahead and get to the uh, triathlon news. We have the Ironman World Championship will now take place on February 6th, 2021. Hopefully, we will see. Of course, it's been canceled due to everything that's going on. A lot of races have been canceled. I was going to do some races. I've got an off-road race coming up that I like to do that might be canceled or shortened. And then um, for the Half Ironman World Championships, we got Taupo, Lake Taupo. In New Zealand is proposed. And interesting thing, if you didn't know, the, the big difference between the World Championship and the uh, 70.3 champs is the World Championship has taken place in, our, in Hawaii, which is the birthplace of it. Um, for so long, they really have difficulty even talking about moving it, to move it around and have the championship in different locations. So the downside of that is that um, it really becomes a race of who's really good at uh, doing not much elevation gain and just super duper hot, which really rules out a lot of people that would be excellent at, uh, that would, we would have a lot different Ironman championship champions if the race was moved around. Some locations are cooler, but really hilly, you know? Some places are flat and cold, and if you, if, yeah, if you just moved it around, uh, we would have uh, more variety in the world champs. And when they started doing 70.3 champs, I can't remember where they first started doing it. They started doing it in the same place uh, for a while, but then they got smart. And then before it built up a history, the, uh, they started moving it around. And that's why it's in different places. I don't, is it ever in the same place? for a few years. I could see it being good to be in the same place for a couple few years because then you uh, get some efficiency going on there. But, but yeah, they want to keep moving it around. And the next one's in New Zealand, especially because New Zealand has got the coronavirus uh, kind of figured out, which doesn't hurt that they're an island. <laughs> it's really helpful. Uh, let's see, on Zwift, the France world, quote-unquote, is, is out, and they have... The finish line, streets, the Champs de Lisée, and then also they have just France in general, which is a cool world. Um, I did some hacking when the news first came out about it, and some people had figured out how to write it when before it was officially public, and I actually wrote it. I wrote around, and, uh, and I guess with some pros and some developers, and it was okay. <laughs> It was quite boring, actually. And then um, the, uh, the landscape is beautiful, especially now that they've added some touches to it. Because I wrote it again since now it's official. And there's a ton of people on it. And it's really nice. And the, um, 
there's a, a really flat section for like half an hour if you want. It's a really good uh, place to um, do an easy ride. And the scenery is great. And it's actually a lot like Texas, East Texas in the uh, spring. Just beautiful, uh, very light, gentle, rolling countryside and really pretty. And then there's the Monster Ventu Mountain. And that thing is a beast. And I thought I would ride up it. And <laughs> I rode halfway up it and then gave up. So I still have not ridden up that mountain and that thing uh, when, when, it, when I snuck in and uh, is when I actually did it. But uh, we'll see. I'll probably eventually ride again. And then in all the uh, tech news for triathlon is a steering device for Zwift. So Elite, which is a trainer company out of Italy, they have released the Sturzo and it's only $50. And what it is, is the, the thing that you put your front wheel on for the uh, trainer. Um, as you turn your handlebars, the uh, wheel, God, what is that called? The wheel holder? <laughs> anyway, it rotates. And with that rotation, it sends a signal to Zwift. And turns out there's different lines on the road that you can take in Zwift that with just regular Zwift, uh, you get pushed around uh, by the game dynamics. But now you can actually choose. And turns out it's actually faster to take the inside line on turns and you can cruise around Zwift and ride way faster than you did before. I don't know how, you know, way faster. But you can ride faster than you did before. And it's such an advantage that they have not uh, allowed it in games. It's banned in games. Um, the functionality just doesn't work, not in games, in uh, races. Because the inside line will make you go faster. And not everybody has this thing yet. And it's new. But if you're riding Zwift in uh, just free ride mode or workout mode or whatever, just as long as you're not doing a race, uh, you could get this thing for $50 and um, it will, you could actually make, get, make the game more realistic. And it crossed my mind. I'm like, at this point, now this stuff is getting so realistic that it's way better than, at times, it's way better than road riding. We gotta be careful because you still want to have a reason to go right, right outside. Yeah. Anyway, all right, that's it for all the news. Let's go ahead and get on with the main set of the show. I'll take you along with me on a 15-hour training week and spill all the details how to get it done. All right, here we go. You are entering the Zentrite training log zone. <laughs> Hi everybody, my name is Brett, I'm a trapeze. I decided it's time I got some friends more suited to my status. But Joe, we've been friends for years. Hey, we all make mistakes. Come on dudes, let's go exercise! Exercise! Yeah! I'm gonna do sit-ups till I poop myself! Alright, let's cover my Garmin Varia rear-facing radar long-term review, and also the Zwift Prefs application that you can use to help you do some certain things in Zwift. That's very cool, and I found a neat little trick where you can get a, a course that you can 
only ride during special events. Well, you, you can actually ride it all the time if you use this one trick. So back to the uh, rear-facing radar. I've been using it uh, off and on for six months. Pretty much anytime I go out on a road ride, I want to use it. Um, sometimes I give it to Kai, uh, my 15-year-old uh, superstar triathlete son, and he's out on road rides with it, and I feel way safer with him using it. And that's because what it does is it alerts you that uh, cars are coming up behind you, I don't know, 100, 200 yards uh, maybe uh, from the rear. You can start uh, seeing cars. It shows on your bike computer. Uh, you can buy its own little dedicated head unit, but um, if you have a Garmin uh, head unit, it'll show it on that. And then also if you have a compatible watch, I have a Garmin Phoenix 5. I think, and um, it shows it on that, and uh, and it beeps, and if you're wearing your watch, it vibrates, which vibrates your wrist, that there's a car coming up behind you, it is really cool, and the reason I got it was that I was finally convinced, because DC Rainmaker said that uh, he got to the point where uh, you don't want to leave your house without it, on a ride it's that good and if you forget it you turn around and go back and that is a huge indicator that this is something that's very valuable to you and it's worth it and i think they um it might be a little bit cheaper kind of here and there uh but i bought mine for about 200 bucks and it's just fantastic um the it comes with uh, some separate mounts so that you can put it on an arrow seat post versus a round tube seat post. And I lost one of the little pieces because it's black and rubbery. And I have a million of those little things, of things that are like that. And it's really easy to lose black stuff. Um, it's probably under the couch or something. I don't know wherever it's gone to. And anyway, long story short, uh, it is great. It is really, really cool. Um, some other little tricks it has up its sleeve is that it'll show you how many cars are coming up behind you. There are little dots that move up along the side of your bike computer screen. And uh, when the, uh, the unit is alerting you that, it, it communicates wirelessly uh, to, your, to, your, um, to your devices and uh, it'll be kind of reddish flashing that there's cars coming and then, um, once the cars pass you and it's all clear, then it flashes uh, green or turns to green. Uh, one downside is that figuring out how much battery life it has is really um, difficult and nearly impossible. And that's not cool. <laughs> so you can actually pair it. Here's a little trick. You can actually pair it with uh, your head unit as a, not only as a uh, rear ra radar, that's what it's called when you pair it. But also, if you do this other thing and parrot it again at the same time uh, as, a, as a bike light, a lighting instrument or something like that, I can't remember what it's called in the, in the settings, it will then allow you to see its battery charge percentage, which is really cool. I think it lasts, oh my gosh, I should have had that on me. It lasts plenty plenty um 10 hours or something like that but let's say i was going to do ram right across america 
Race Across America. I, I would have three of these. <laughs> and I would have one charging, one in use, and then one as a backup because it is amazing. And then the light is so bright that it's actually blinding when it's uh, blinking that uh, it also doubles as a blinky light. And there's, there's um, a setting where it's on all the time. That's a great way to, to kill the battery. And then there's a setting uh, where it just blinks. And then there's a setting where it uh, increases the blinking as cars get closer, which is kind of neat. Um, I've never really observed that in person. Um, okay, so let's talk about riding in groups. Um, it saw when Kai and I go for a ride. Now, that's just two people. Um, it sees right through him on his bike. And then um, it... Uh, uh, picks up cars coming up from behind. Uh, what kind of roads is it good on? It is not good for places with lots of traffic because it's just going to be going off all the time. So there's no point to it. You just need to assume that there's a car coming up all the time anyway. Where it is perfect is where there's not much traffic um, and it's a little bit of an iffy place to be riding. So my favorite example is... Um, when I live on the edge of the city and I can leave the city limits in a couple minutes and then it's two lane uh, and then two lane highway 70 miles an hour with no shoulder through the countryside with trees, and turns, and bends in the road and little hills and stuff, little, you know, rises and rollers. And it is uh, very nice to have this, um, this thing behind you. Because I get a car, I live in a kind of a small town, and um, get a car like every few minutes, maybe a car will come up behind me, and it's perfect for that because I don't want to um, swerve out of my lane because there's a pothole or a snake or like a, a piece of trash or I don't know a bump in the road or something like that, or I'm reaching down for my bottle so I'm a little bit wobbly in the road. Well. I already know if there's a car coming up behind me or not. Oh, that was another thing. It's like, at first you're kind of like, you're, you should, and you should, you should double check before you do anything, you know, swerving out into the road or something like that. But man, it is like impossible to, <laughs> to, uh, to trick this thing. And um, if your head unit loses signal with it, like say it fell off, you're like, oh, what if it fell off? And you wouldn't know. Well, it, um, it, your head unit tells you, because uh, one time I walked off with my head unit and then uh, it was like, uh, Vario radar gone, <laughs> master, <laughs> intruder, intruder. And uh, yeah, it's uh, fantastic. Oh, another thing that it was really, really good for, which surprised me, uh, was Kai and I did a couple of really long gravel rides, so like three hours. And I think, yeah, three hours plus. And on gravel roads, especially, you only get a car every once in a while. That's the nature of gravel roads. That's why they're still gravel. And um, at gravel roads, you know, usually don't have a lot of shoulder and you're having to pick your way around little things, you know, like uh, little piles of rocks and gravel and, and uh, uh, maybe a pothole or a little mud hole or something like that. I don't know. But you're, you don't ride, you know, you can't ride a white line on a gravel road because there's no white line. You're kind of all over the place. And this tells you that there's a car coming up behind you, which is so nice 
to yourself and also to the uh, the people in the car that you're not being a rude cyclist and hogging the road and have no clue that there's a car coming up behind you. You actually know. And you can get over it and they can go by. It's really cool. All right. If I remember anything else about the Varia, I'll talk about it either later in the show or um, or a different part of the show. And also in uh, future episodes, I highly recommend it. Long-term review over. And I bought it with my own money. And I'm keeping it. <laughs> it's good stuff. Uh, Kai goes out the door on a bike ride by himself. And I, I hand it to him. I'm like, here, take this. Make sure I charge it uh, to make sure... Um, He's got it when he goes off on a bike ride. In fact, he went on a bike ride today, and I didn't get a chance to see him out the door, and I'm going to scold him if he left uh, without it. Okay, uh, next is Zwift Prefs, or Zwift Preferences, uh, which is a little app that you can put on your computer if you run Zwift off of a computer. I run Zwift off of a Mac OS, a MacBook Air, and it uh, gives you kind of a... A control panel, uh, it's a really simple program. It gives you kind of a control panel over a file. And what this file is, is an XML file. And those of you that don't don't know what XML is, XML is just kind of like a list. And that's actually how podcasting got started, was it's a list. And the items on the list um, have dates on them. This is for podcasting. And if the date is newer than the one, the the audio file you already have then or last downloaded then download the next one that's it and um so xml for zwift is a list of the preferences and a lot of times it just kind of keeps the last thing that you did but zwift prefs will actually instead of going through this file that you, you would have to use like open up a notepad and you have to know a little bit of coding sort of to kind of be able to, it's easy to read, but you don't want to mess it up. <laughs> and if you're not really familiar with XML, you could get something in the wrong place, or it's just, I don't know, it's just kind of, I don't call it awkward, it's inconvenient. And Zwift Prefs also did something I noticed that was really unusual. Uh, you know, when you go into Zwift and you load up a course, to ride, you have like your given courses. And I was messing around with loading up France, uh, the Tour de France courses uh, that we've been seeing uh, people racing virtually and that only pros are allowed to be on. And I I found a hack, oh my gosh, it was so difficult, it was crazy, I don't, I did it like three weeks ago and I haven't done it since, which will show you about how much I don't want to bother with it again. And um, I think it's got Mount Ventoux on it, which I wrote up about half. And uh, so I was all riding around France and everything else like that. And I was playing around, reading up on, uh, you know, what are the changes and hacks and stuff like that. There's a website called Zwift Hacks. And I think they're the ones that make Zwift preferences. But... There's also another special course called Watopia Waistband. And turns out, I first discovered this course after I had been writing it myself, but I'd been doing it uh, manually uh, every time myself because I, um, I had figured out like what is the absolute best 
course for training for long distance uh, uh, triathlon, so for Ironman and Zwift, and I I have been riding around so much that I pieced together this course. It's amazing, and I believe on the next episode I'll talk about why. What is it about this course that's so amazing? And um, it's how many miles long? 17 miles long? Uh, no, 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 no. Well, anyway, yeah, yeah, 17 miles long about. And um, at race, race pace, like 200 and, uh, at 250 watts, man, it, it takes like 40 minutes to go around this thing. And it's got, it's got the coastal town, it's got the marina, it's got, goes through the volcano, it, it goes up into the desert. Um, it's got some descents on it. It's got some long, even climbs, and it's got a lot of flats and stuff. So it's like just a perfect. It's got a couple of play, uh, like three times you can like stand and climb. Again, I'll cover that another show, but um, it's just got the perfect mix, and it takes forty minutes uh, or more. Forty minutes at uh, at uh, Uber biking uh, pace <laughs> to to do this thing. So uh, it's just fantastic. So you can ride this uh, loop, but I, I, I've been riding it manually myself, you know, with the keyboard or with my mouse, like clicking the uh, turn left, turn right, turn left. Um, y'all can go online and see what Watopia waistband, the actual route looks like. And uh, you know, I studied elevation gains and stuff to make sure it matched up with uh, like Ironman. It's probably more than, our, I bet it's more than Ironman Texas. Um, and Ironman Texas is my local Ironman, you know. And so uh, I was doing a bike ride. It was like a special event with like Mark Cavendish and other people. And it said it was on the Watopia Waistband route. And uh, so I dug around and found out more about it. This was a long time ago. And um, Watopia Waistband uh, was this exact same route. And then I come to find out you, it doesn't exist. Like if you, if you log on to Zwift yourself just to go for a ride, Watopia waistband isn't in the, uh, isn't in the menu. You can't select it. And it's for special events only, you know, and like, but it's awesome. It's the perfect Ironman trading route, uh, training route. And, um, there's another thing I was going to talk about on the show. Uh, the ultimate thing to make uh, bike riding fun on Watopia, I figured out, or doesn't doesn't have to be a Zwift. It can be like any kind of uh, uh, game or whatever that you're doing. I'll talk about that in a second. It's awesome. But uh, back to the point of my story a few minutes ago, I was um, on Zwift prefs or Zwift hacks, looking at different courses that were available and stuff. And it said that Watopia Waistband was available through the Zwift Prefs uh, little application. I was like, what? What are you talking about? So I opened up uh, Zwift Prefs and scrolled through all the courses that are available. And, it, and there's things like you can, you can change somehow like the settings of your title music. You can change the, uh, the default settings of your, the resistance on your trainer. Uh, which courses uh, you want to be on, like a whole bunch of, there's like a, a hundred and something different things that you can change in these preferences. And 
lo and behold, scrolling down, and I'm sure there's more than this, but scrolling down through the, uh, the courses that were available in Watopia to set as your default whenever you log in, Watopia waistband. And I was like, what? Are you freaking kidding me? Holy cow, this is so great. Because now I don't have to use my keyboard to turn everywhere uh, multiple times. And on a rare occasion, you mess it up and then it screws up uh, your plan of what you're kind of doing. Anyway, so if you want to ride Watopia Waistband or maybe some other special event courses, you might be able to find them in Zwift Prefs. And it's a free download. You can just put it right on your computer and uh, run it. Okay. Now to the super cool thing, the really odd, funny thing that I have just recently figured out that it's a cool trick for biking is on the trainer is that y'all, did y'all ever catch that thing with, um, on YouTube when coronavirus first got started with the lockdown and there was uh, a guy that did a whole bunch of YouTube videos for like a, uh, for about 10 days or something like that of the Tour de Corona or something like that. <laughs> and he's, he is a bike race commentator and he's got this deep, he's got a good voice, you know, a deep voice like this, or just a pleasant voice. He knows how to talk and, and the racers are coming up around the corner and this and, 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 and just a bit outside, you know, that kind of, that kind of voice. And, uh, from his apartment, he, apartment window, uh, he has a view of a river uh, with a whole bunch of bike paths and stuff around the side of it. And he would do commentating of, of the uh, people riding their bikes along the bike path. <laughs> and it's awesome. And uh, one of the characters like that he named, you see a lot of people the same day. And um, he, again, it's Tour de Corona or something like that. You can go find it. And um, he did like one a day for, I swear, for 12 days. Yeah, and they called him stages. It's fantastic. But one of the things he did over his audio uh, of his voice recording uh, was um, helicopter and crowds cheering, right? And um, it just made the whole thing. It's really cool. Okay. As I've been riding on Zwift, I figured out that on... YouTube, you can watch videos, and if you right-click twice, once, and then right-click again on YouTube, uh, on the on the picture, on the video, it will allow you to do picture-in-picture, picture, and then that picture-in-picture picture is floating, and it's not the size, dude, it's only like a fourth the size of your, of your screen, but it allows you to drag and drop it, like, anywhere, and um, it just, it's frameless. And it is a beautiful, amazing thing. And you can continue watching your video. So what I do is I get a little bored riding indoors on the trainer and uh, riding on Zwift. And so what I do is I watch videos at the same time and like a picture-in-picture -picture box. Uh, I used to do it kind of off to the side and I figured out to do it low, down in the middle. And... Um, I, uh, I've watched a million different kinds of things. I've watched TV shows. That doesn't really do it for me. I've watched all these different things. Um, I'll think of another example in a second. But a lot of different things. And the other day, I realized that when I watch bike racing, the reason that watching bike races 
that are stored on YouTube. So Tour de France, Tour, Giro d'Italia, man, 2017, 2015 is fantastic, man. It's hours and hours and hours and hours and stages and it makes you feel like the, the lockdown didn't happen for one thing. Um, uh, guess what's happening? It's got the chopper sounds and it's got commentary back and forth between two or three people about what's going on in the race. It's kind of off to the side or down low and you kind of get the visuals. So if it's like something really interesting that you want to keep your eye on, you know, like somebody doing a breakaway or something like that, then um, you, you can watch it, you know, but it's it's the the dynamics of the sound of the choppers and the bike, the bikes crashing and the and the uh, the commentary and the, this person is, is at this point and this and commentary on teams and stuff like that. In a weird way, you feel like you're in a bike race because it's, now it's fully immersive. You're getting all this stuff that you normally see on a bike race um, now going on. So it's you with all the cyclists and everything going on around you on the in Zwift or whatever game you want to be playing and then plus all this. So again, uh, now that I've explained it all, you may be like, holy cow, that actually is pretty cool. Yes, the way you do it, YouTube, right click twice and it'll do picture in picture. You can also download an extension to Chrome, which will leave it up at the top of Chrome, just a button you can click so you don't have to do all that right clicking and uh and do it it just does it all the time anyway and then my favorite for whatever reason is women's uh bike racing and women's um mountain biking oh my gosh mountain biking holy cow um because uh a the women are freaking badass and uh b women race differently than guys so it gives you kind of a different perspective on things on what to do um you know it's kind of like stuttering studying stuttering studying uh you think you know philosophy and you think you know how the world works and how to think uh, coming from the West until you study Eastern philosophy and then you realize there's a whole different way to approach everything. And, um, and then the women look sharp, man. They're pretty badass. And then also the women, <laughs> the women, most of the time, they have like PhDs and stuff like that uh, because they have to, uh, women's racing doesn't pay. Uh, unfortunately, it doesn't pay anything like what men's cycling does. So they have careers on the side and cycling attracts like smart people. We cyclists and triathletes are, tend to be an intelligent bunch. And um, yeah, it's really, it's really cool to see uh, uh, women's cycling for me. So give that a try. If you're a guy, and I, I don't know, I think they're pretty good, pretty good looking and in pretty good shape. And maybe that attracts my attention as well. I can't really put my finger on it, but, you know, what, it's, what it is about it. But I watch a mix. If you're a girl listening to this podcast, maybe you want to watch men's cycling or whatever you're interested in. Okay, that is it for now. Um, I'll be right back with the next part. Hold on. All right. I am at the Zentri Home Studios and I'm going to get stuff together for my bike ride later today on the trainer and talk about that a little bit while I cover things I did on this morning's run that so far seems smart. <laughs> we'll find out. <laughs> it's a really good run this morning and was thinking about little tips and tricks. Let's see, I had a peanut butter and jelly sandwich earlier and I think I'm going to have another one. That worked out really well. Or maybe a Cliff Bar or ramen. All things that are 
debatably debatable if they're actually good for you. Hmm. I guess I'll do the ramen. Because I need salt. And ramen has a lot of salt in it. And this crushing up the ramen before I put it in the, uh, the thing. I figured out something cool. Is that we have a Keurig and I'm rinsing out this cup and lately soap and stuff sometimes. And when I was in college and I would eat ramen noodles, the, uh, the way to cook them in your dorm room or whatever you had was a little hot pot or whatever it was called. It makes hot water really quick. Turns out a Keurig is really great for that. And I put the ramen noodles in a, you know, one of these stainless steel thermos mugs, probably about a 20 ounce one that are so popular right now. And then put a large cup of coffee's worth of water into the mug over the noodles and let it sit for like four minutes. Bam, it's all done. And then you only have one dirty dish and it's all done in the same container and it's convenient and it's making the hot water right there as you need it, no excess. No energy wasted trying to keep it hot out of your hot water here. Okay, and for my bike ride, I'm gonna go in my training cave and see what the situation is. All right, looks like I've got towels and headbands. All the sweaty stuff is in place, anti-sweaty stuff. So it looks like I just need water. Looks like everything's good to go, although actually I do want to lube my chain. So let's go ahead and do that while I talk. So I was running this morning and it's really hot where I live and really humid. And the wind, if it's especially hot and humid, the wind is out of the south, off the Gulf of Mexico. I'm in South Central Texas, or Central Texas. And let me put some of this wax base loop. Where'd it go? Shake it up. So if I'm, you know, towards the end of the run, that's when you get the hottest. And if you run with the wind, oh my God, it's so hot especially if it's a hot and humid place like here. We get regularly in the heat index, uh, feels like, quote unquote, of 120 in the afternoons because of the humidity with the heat. And it is uh, something that I figured out. You make your return part of the run into the wind and it's a whole lot better. You're not as ha you're not as hot the first half of your run and then the second half of your run you really start getting hot around here. And for example, if I ran north, it doesn't really matter so much that I'm running with the wind um, because I just started running, I'm not as hot. And then turn around and come back and the run south is uh, into the wind and it creates a little bit more of a breeze, a lot more of a breeze. And um, just feels a whole lot better. The wrong thing to do is to run with the wind on when you're getting really hot 
and man, that will cook you. In fact, on race courses, that is something to really pay attention to. Uh, the On race day, you really should know the wind and when it's going to get really hot and which way the wind's coming from. It really helps. Okay, I'm going to put the recorder down here and lube the chain. You'll hear that for a second. That is yellow gold or something like that. Wax base lube. It's the best. And the way I was talking about how I ran was actually not how my uh, running route is today. I was just giving that as advice. And I did find a really nice run route, though, because it's got a lot of varying terrain. And actually, I needed to mention before I forget... that I gave uh, my son, Kai, who's a really great runner. He was going out for a 40 minute run. I gave him these new wireless headphones that I'm trying out, black pods. So they're knockoff Apple AirPods, but they're black. And they seem to work pretty great. They have some little downsides, which I'll talk about in a minute, but let's go ahead and get this uh, going here. I got my packet of ramen flavoring. Now I put it in the cup, put the cup under the Keurig. Oh my God, the Keurig does not have enough water in it. Add a little bit more. There we go. Ready to rock. Make sure you take the coffee pot out else your ramen will taste like crap. Durr. And here we go. Oh, it's kind of quiet. Spinning around a little bit so it gets the gets the powder all in there. This will be good. By the, by the time we're done recording this little segment, it'll be all ready. So uh, Kai was running with the black pods, and he's run with them twice now, a short run and then a 40-minute run, which for him is kind of long. And he says they're working great, and uh, I don't believe things are sweat-proof until you run with them in Texas humidity with tons of, tons of heat and sweat. Ooh, the Keurig's acting weird. What is it doing? Oh no, it's, it's fine. All right, ramen will be ready. Four minutes. So I think in um, future episodes, I will have an update on those Black Pods. It's actually the brand name Black Pods and Paid 50 bucks for them. Something that's uh, really great is wearing the uh, AirPods, AirPods Pro, Black Pods on bike rides because the way they're designed, you know, they're separate per ear. So you can have just one in and listen to music and then still be able to hear traffic out the uh, other ear, which is really great. Kai was uh, going for bike rides wearing both headphones and I was like no 
as your father? I say, that is dumb. <laughs> it's already dumb to be wearing headphones at all. Uh, let's not have ones in both ears. And let's see. Oh, so I was going for my run and I still have a little bit of a tight calf on the right side, my mad calf. And one thing that definitely helps if you have a, a calf or foot injury is if the road, pay attention to how the road slopes and how that actually impacts your, uh, your injury, how you feel. And if the, if the road slopes off to the right, I do a lot better, but you can't do that all the time. It's not good for you. And I figured out something today. It was really interesting is that if I run with my right hand arm, forearm, whatever, uh, lower than my left, just a little bit, it makes the right foot, right calf and all that, uh, somehow, for some reason, it doesn't take as much impact. And it's great. Go back, get back on running and stuff. And because running makes you feel good. You don't want to quit running entirely unless you have to. And uh, if you've got injuries on the left side, that's also something that uh, you could do on the left side that worked out pretty nice. And I ordered a new Amphipod, is a brand name, uh, running belt. And I get the stretchy belt. That way it can be infinitely um, sizable and then it doesn't lose, it's, uh, it, it attaches with Velcro. If you get things with buckles, buckles like slip when they get wet with sweat. And the, um, the belt is new and it's where I put uh, water bottles on the side. I can attach them to my waist. That way I've got good running for them because I'm not running with stuff in my hands. And uh, you do want to run with stuff in your hands on occasion because like a water bottle or something like that because really hot races, it's nice to be able to run with water in your hand, you know, all kinds of stuff like that. And anyway though, uh, this thing is new, it's a little bit too tight, plus I've gained a little bit of weight, and so it's kind of stretching out a little bit, but anyway, it caused abrasion on um, my belly uh, when I first got it like a week ago, and it hurts. It didn't hurt while I was doing it, but man, afterwards, now it hurts. <laughs> and oh, what did I do? I got uh, this, uh, I was sponsored a long time ago by a company named SkinSake, and they have medicated athletic cream. So it's uh, petroleum based. So it's really, it sticks in place, but it's also medicated. It's called SkinSake Athletic Ointment. And I went online to order more and it seems like I can't find it anywhere. It seems like they're still in business, but maybe they're just sold out because of the pandemic. A lot of things are like that right now. Oh my gosh, Kai got a job at the bike shop, by the way. Thinking of things that are sold out, it made me think of bikes. That made me think of Kai has a job at our local bike shop. I'm so excited. This is so great for so many reasons, great reasons. And anyway, so with SkinSake, uh, any kind of medicated um, ointment like that, that's also lube, you know, like so that you don't get saddle sores and stuff like that. If you get medicated, it also kind of heals at the same time that it protects, which is smart. And I have a basket of stuff that well, right before I go running, I make sure I put all my stuff in there, especially uh, clothes that I'm going to use tomorrow. If you want to go, uh, you want to make sure that you work out. One thing to do 
is to get stuff together way before you work out, like I'm talking about right now with, oh yeah, that's one thing. For example, I need to get out my bike shorts and my bike socks for my bike ride. So I'm not looking for them later. And I think they were outside drying because I cleaned them, I washed them. And now they're out in the sun. Let me go look, go out in the backyard. Bike shorts are almost dry. Don't have any socks, I believe. Got an, oh man, I've got so many pro tips to catch all back up. Here is my bike socks. They're still a little damp from clean, cleaning them. We need to go out in the sun for later. And, oh man, pro tip I figured out. You need to, you looked at your watch and your watch is running low on battery. You, you need to charge it soon, but you don't have time to charge it right now. And you're gonna forget later. Move it to your other wrist. And this had a surprising compound effect that is fantastic for me, it might be for you, is I uh, moved it to my other wrist and, you know, hours later when I'm at home where I'm near my uh, charging cable, I look down to my left wrist and say, what time is it? And I'm like, what? Where's my watch? And I look on my right wrist, I'm like, why is it over there? I'm like, oh yeah, because I'm going to charge it. <laughs> so then I put it on the charger. So anyway... Um, I've had this problem forever, a decade, where my left, well, most of my life, uh, my left wrist is a little bit smaller than my uh, right wrist, and just significantly smaller. And I love wearing watches all the time. I like buying watches that are waterproof. That way I just don't even have to take them off because I grew up on swim team and I need to know what time it is because I'm in, uh, I'm in uh, ninth grade and I need to know how much more time we got until this miserable punishment is over so I can go to class for example, and the, uh, you're taking showers and stuff and you know, just, oh man, I was at military school, need to know what time it is constantly for inspections and whatever. So you just wear a waterproof watch and just wear it all the time. So I noticed after moving my watch to my right wrist for a while, um, and I was really surprised at how easy it was to learn how to use the buttons the other way. A lot of people have problems with uh, thinking uh, they can't move something to the other side because then they have to mute, use their other hand and it'll be really difficult. It's actually not. Many times in life I've had to learn how to use the other hand. Uh, I got carpal tunnel in my right hand, so I learned how to use the mouse with my um, left hand when I used to do a lot of digitizing stuff with the mouse. And then now I'm kind of not really ambidextrous, but kind of ambidextrous with a mouse. And I learned it in like two days, <laughs> but just because I had to. And then um, wearing the, I, forever, I, I would not wear my watch on my right wrist, wrist. I'm wearing it right now on my right wrist and I'm fine with it because after, I don't know, a couple days, um, you kind of figure out how to use the other side. And it's actually good for your brain as you age. Anyway, 
I got around to put my watch on my back on my left wrist and I noticed that it wasn't it wasn't on the same um, notch anymore when I tightened it down my wrist had grown in size and girth and uh, my best guess is you know the wrist the watch just over time kind of like foot binding or something like that. It ends up making something smaller and smaller because it's putting pressure on it. And then taking it off, it's got, it allows it to uh, uh, grow back in size a little bit. And yeah, you gotta try that. It's really cool. Try moving your, um, if you got uh, one wrist that's smaller than the other and it happens to be the same wrist that you wear a watch on all the time, uh, try moving it to the, other, to the other side. If you've got, um, you're trying to remember to charge something, put it on the other side. Um, and if you want to make sure that you get your workout done later, start getting the stuff together for it now and put it near the thing that you're gonna work out with. And that has uh, two benefits. Is one, uh, the brain hates to leave things undone. So once you start getting your stuff ready, it really makes you wanna get ready. You start thinking about working out you know, how you're going to work out, what you're going to do, then, um, gosh, probably quadruples the chance you're actually going to do it later in the day because your brain doesn't want to not do it now. And also, when you're getting all this stuff together, there's quite a good chance that when you're getting your stuff together, you realize something isn't right like a bike computer isn't charged or you thought you had uh, clean socks and you do not at all. <laughs> it's not like something you need to go get out of your drawer. It's like you don't have any or bike shorts or something like that. And you need to actually do something. And if you don't do it now or get started doing it now, it will definitely uh, ruin or severely impact your uh, workout later. All right, that's it. I think my ramen is done. I'm going to have that and um, come back in a little bit. All right, leaving the pool, talking through my mask, just getting out of the gym. Let's get this thing off. You can hear my, my Yeti cup, my Yeti knockoff. Ah, nice little sip of carbonated water with a little bit of coconut in it. It's like coconut flavored very lightly good little swim uh, one hour and what I did was sets of 600s except for the last one was uh, 700 I think and basically on the 10 minute interval and so 600s and I was averaging about a 126 pace I believe which is really nice and when I finish 600, I wait until the 10 minutes is up and then I go again. So that gives you, um, gave me about, I didn't lock the car here, a minute and something rest between each, each one. And swimming so interesting, the rest is built in to your intervals. The faster you go, the more rest you get. <laughs> you want more rest, go faster. Self-reinforcing improvement. Putting all my swim stuff away here. So today I did something I haven't, 
don't think I've ever done it before. Was this particular thing was uh, started off with fins, and I just got some finesse. What are they called? Oh, striker with a Y, stry, cur, uh, silicone fins, and they're zoomies basically. They're very short fins, and they don't give you much propulsion, and they certainly don't help you float. I can tell that. But they teach you how to use your kick. Uh, and they also force your toes to point back, which is something a lot of people need a lot more of. And even me, maybe. But I did the, um, the first 600 yards with just the fins. And uh, that was nice. And yeah, uh, you know, immediately started feeling you know where to put the kick to actually get it because what it does is it gives you feedback of resistance when your kick is actually working and then you're like oh that's where it is right there so then your timing and and your application you know to line it up with your uh with your arms with your stroke pull is uh optimized and then Next one, I did a uh, pool boy, but I have a very unique pool boy, which is also finesse. I really like finesse stuff. I like Speedo too. And tier, T-Y-R is actually not said, you're not supposed to say T-Y-R. You can say it however you want. I'm not here to tell you how to do things like law, but tier is a Nordic God of war and a few other things. And that's his name. Ooh, I need gas. Need to get some gas. What's uh, funny is driving home after swimming instead of driving to work. Because I'm not going to work today because I'm working from home. And uh, let's see. What did we have? Um, oh, yeah. So second set of 600 yards was with fins pretty much the exact same speed and um, then then the uh, next set was 600 yards of regular freestyle and I like doing that because the things that you learn from doing the pool boy and the um, and the fins uh, then you implement them as soon as you can. It teaches you, like, this is how you do your stroke right. <laughs> and then, you go, oh, okay. And then you put it in the stroke as fast as you can. Um, and that way you absorb it. Your body uh, memorizes how to start doing it right. It, it's like, do it like this, because I just did it like this, and it worked great. Uh, I forgot the um, the Finis pool boy I use is the one, the striker. No, those are the fins. Axis. A-X-I-S. And... The reason I spell things a lot is because of uh, my American and then further on uh, Texas accent. Maybe it's people don't know uh, what I'm actually saying, <laughs> which I wouldn't be surprised. And this is a cool pool boy because not only, you know, can you put it between your thighs like normal but you can put it between your ankles. It's got ankle slots in it. And 
when you put it between your ankles, it really isolates your feet and it really gets your feet up. And also it helps you straighten a much straighter line and then it keeps your ankles really close together. So then it makes you really more streamlined, like a lot more streamlined. And then also I grew up with a problem of over rotating at my feet and my feet would cross over and a little bit of a wiggle in my stroke. And you can't do that with these. So it really teaches you great swim stroke, a kick, a body position, all that good stuff. And on top of that, let's see, I did, I decided that I didn't want to, oh, well, the, the uh, pool boy uh, teaches you to glide on your pool, which is really nice. And I realized um, that pool boy really teaches you to glide so well on your stroke that I want to switch the order back to uh, doing pool boy first as my 10 minutes of that, um, 600 yards, easy. Um, because that's a really nice warm up because it's a nice glide and you're so efficient uh, and smooth that it's easy on the arms. It makes for a good workout. By the way, I did 3,700 yards. I did, you know, 600 six times and then on the last one I had a little bit of time left over so I threw in another hundred and that gave me my 3,700 yards there is a thing about pool boys that if your speed swimming regular is it's almost exactly the same <clears throat> as your swim speed with a pool boy then you have a really good uh, stroke and technique and you're really efficient. And that is because your position is pretty much the same either way. Isn't that cool? So that's something to aim for. Uh, guy's waving me on with his uh, kid at the intersection. His toddler on a bicycle. Was it a trike? got a little flag on it no it's got training wheels awesome and there's another kid oh he's showing the other kid's showing off with his bike doesn't have training wheels okay last night i did an easy bike on the trainer because that'd be three days in a row of riding the bike on the trainer an hour each one and the uh, first day hour on the trainer, just going kind of average, medium, like increasing speed. Oh, and doing no coasting, which I got to talk about. I don't want to talk about it right this second. Let's um, save that for a little bit. But uh, my average was like 257 watts, 260 watts, just nice average heart rate, you know, but working on no coasting at all and doing the volcano flat loop. And then the next day, I do like three laps of this loop. And then the next day, which was day before yesterday, I did faster and pushed it a little bit more and averaged 262 watts, probably. And then the um, 
And then on the third lap of Volcano Loop, what I do is I do the first lap easy, very easy, kind of like a warm up, kind of see where I'm at. And on my bike computer, I look at the average watts uh, for that first lap. And that tells me a lot about what to do the second and the third lap. And if the numbers are bad, then it's an easy day. And then if the numbers are fine, then it's an average day. If the numbers are awesome, then it might be time for an awesome day. But what you have to do is on the first lap, which takes about 20 minutes, is uh, not try, just warm up and just kind of see what happens. And the uh, you don't want to skew your results uh, unintentionally. And the next, uh, but that was two days in a row of increasing effort. And my last lap on day two was 270 something watts. And I averaged like 260 something watts, which is really solid for me. And um, it was an improvement uh, over lately. So even though I wanted to bike yesterday, I was like, just get on the bike and do, uh, and try to just ride easy. And that's what I did last night. Very easy. Brought the whole average back down to uh, 252 um, watts average, which was for me um, nice and easy. Also, the um, black pods that I mentioned earlier, uh, it's blackpodsco.com, I think. The right one seems to be not as, not as much battery life as the left. I'm not really sure what's going on. I'm not surprised that knockoffs have uh, quality control issues where they're not exactly the same. And also on my phone, I have an iPhone, it doesn't show the charge uh, separately for each one. And I have the ones, I have the Black Pods 2, where they look like the, uh, the first generation AirPods, uh, where they're long and thin. And one of the upsides that I wanted to mention of these things is because they're black, you could probably put it in your ear and then it looks like you have on a Bluetooth headset like a businessman, you know, a business, business lady. And you could be in a meeting and listening to Zen and Yard Triathlon or some other uh, uh, great podcast like quantum physics kind of stuff, learning about science and engineering and making your brain giant. And um, people have no idea that they, they think that you're not listening to music is what I'm saying. And then because they're independently um, designed, you could have just one in and it's like, no, I'm I'm a businessman, and I'm a very I'm less, I have to be ready at any time to listen to uh, get a very important phone call. Buy, sell, buy, buy, sell. <laughs> so I wanted to mention that. I was in a um, a little bit of a training the other day, and I had them in not during the training, but right after. I had the right side in while eating. We had some lunch afterwards. I went kind of off by myself, and. Uh, there were still like three people in this huge room, but um, I had it off to the side. I was off to the side a little bit, but I was able to talk, and I had this one black AirPod in, and no one seemed to notice or care or say anything about it. It's way less distracting. I think if it's white, people are like, you have AirPods in, and you're, you're listening to music and not being a great uh, employee or business owner or whatever you're doing. But if you have just one, it's like the 19... 
I was about to say 1990s, uh, the 2000s, where you got that Bluetooth thing in your, the giant Bluetooth uh, tumor thing sticking out of the side of your head because you're a very important business person, like I said. Okay, uh, there was something else. Oh, also, it's Friday, and I have a strategy where on Fridays I tend, I've learned, to not work out twice and I just swimming and what that does is it gives my legs a break and that sets me up for a nice weekend if I haven't done anything with my legs the day before uh, Saturday and Sunday that means I can go in Saturday and Sunday with fresher legs and then do bigger volume uh, which is uh, what most of us do on the weekend and I actually have better workouts and feel fresher actually doing it I wanted to remember that and then on Monday, I tend not to do any swimming on, on the weekends, by the way. And then on Monday, I go back and swim again. And then that is nice recovery because swimming tends to be mostly upper body. And then the, the kicking and whatever is just kind of therapeutic, you know. You're just kind of kicking your legs around. And it feels good. And that way... If you do it right, you can work out pretty much every day and still get in a workout and feel good and uh, continue to build your volume, which is the strategy for ultra endurance is you always have to be looking at where to fit uh, more training in and get in more volume. Okay, I think that's it. I'm wrapped around the corner here to get to the to the rizzle hizzle. Check in on Kai and Emily. Kai was going to go swimming with me this morning. And he walked into the living room in his underwear and stared at me as I was getting ready. And he said, Dad, just go on without me. <laughs> I'm going to sleep in. And I said, yeah, no problem. Just got to keep setting the example and eventually he'll, he'll catch up. He's doing great. All right, that's it. I'll be back in a second. Out. All right, we are back. I did something really cool today. I preloaded sodium before a really hot long ride and it worked. And I forgot about where I heard about this. It was on a podcast like a month or so ago. I'm leaving the house. I gotta go pick up Kai from the bike shop. And make sure I got my keys. Oh, I need sunglasses. Hold on. Let's go back. They were interviewing a pro or a pro and a sodium expert, I believe. And they were giving tips on, you know, how to keep your sodium up, have better races. They were talking about how the different ways to get sodium in your body on race day and the question, can you take sodium ahead of time? Very good question. And I'd heard about it a little bit before. Let's get in the mobile studios here. Got my mask, my pandemic mask. Um, but not to the extent that these guys were saying. 
And they were talking about, uh, you know, is it like carb loading? And the answer was no. It's, um, you don't, carb loading you can do for like a few days or something like that before your event. You build up the carbs. But sodium loading, you kind of don't even do it the uh, night before. It's like the day of. Just get a bunch of sodium in you. And was it Jordan Rap? I'm trying to remember who was saying this. And a lot of sodium in you. And then when you go out on your really hot, sweaty ride or race or whatever you're doing, that sodium's already digested and in you. And then all the water and stuff that you drink, um, is it osmosis? Where uh, water that doesn't have salt in it, salt pulls water. I guess that's not osmosis. Salt pulls water towards it. So if your blood is really salty, uh, the blood tries to even itself out with the uh, with the other water that you drink by pulling all this water in. Wait, no, that's not how it works. Anyway, your blood's really salty and it pulls in the water that you're drinking and they were saying you know uh with your with your morning meal take a take a bunch of salt and with some water that way you can get it down not a lot really really salty drink before you head out and then and then uh it should be should be good to go so kai and i uh we're gonna go mountain biking and we needed to do a two-hour ride plus, and it is insanely hot here. We're going to start at 8.30 in the morning, and it's so hot that when, even if you do all the sodium and water and stuff like you think you should, when you finish your ride, you're just wiped out the rest of the day. And I've realized that living in Texas is that the summer here is actually like detrimental to your training to do long you can't do long anything and can't do anything outside almost it has to be either really early in the morning or short or both and so i do um in the summer it's kind of like the opposite of living up north in the summer i do long rides i've learned to try to do long rides on the trainer and uh, even long runs i'm going to run later today I'm doing it inside on the trainer because it's a hundred and something degrees outside for real. And we were getting our stuff together and I was having coffee and, uh, with, uh, what was left of my coffee. So like, uh, just a quarter of a cup of coffee, maybe not even that much. I uh, put in a quarter teaspoon of salt. So that's like, that's somewhere around uh, 600, 500 milligrams of sodium. And I poured it in there, uh, swirled it around a few times to make sure it was absorbed and or, uh, make sure it was um, diluted and mixed in with the water and kept swirling it a couple times and then, and then pounded it real fast because <laughs> it tastes like crap. It's not terrible. I've tasted worse, like ketones. Oh, my God, those are nasty. That's like, am I drinking propane? 
somehow liquid propane but uh the salt uh went down and then i didn't think much of it later uh, until later Kai and I are uh, riding along and, and my I was using like uh, my own home brew, brew fuel and, and water with salt in it and stuff like that like I always do I got a pro tip on camelbacks and ice here in a second on hot days and as uh, we were riding I guess we were about 45 minutes into it and I noticed like Kai was in front of me a lot and traditionally now, he's faster than me because he's insane. And uh, mountain biking is dangerous, so there's that. And then also, uh, if it's short, he's definitely faster than me. Like, a ride has to be, like, three hours long for me to just wreck him. <laughs> and uh, there's uh, the mountain bike place that we ride has five different sections. And we stop at each section, what, the person who's ahead, to wait for the other and he said something at uh, one of the stops like let's say it's the end of uh, stop two section two he said you're going really fast like like uh it was a half of a compliment it was a little bit not and i need a sip of water and i was like Really? I don't I'm, don't feel like I'm going fast. He said, no. You're pushing the pace, aren't you? I said, no. I'm doing uh, just riding. And then this, this happened a couple more times. And then at the end, um, he was exhausted. And he was having a little bit of trouble, not like medically wise, like standing up and stuff like that. But, you know, when you're tired, you know, like sitting down on things. When we're all done after two hours of mountain biking in this heat and he's sitting down and just looks wiped out and I am bouncing off the walls I'm like excited I'm talking about the rest of the day and then another big thing is at the end I wasn't craving any salty foods which is a big indicator if you didn't get enough sodium uh, in your uh, in your fuel and water or lately in life is if you crave salty foods after a workout, especially a long hot one, you crave chips and hamburger, savory stuff, then you're not getting enough sodium. And my uh, one-time analysis is that it totally worked. I felt fantastic the entire time, and I went faster than usual. Then, uh, then faster than usual without even trying I was not trying at all because Kai's coach told him to do a uh, easy medium a medium bike ride and so we were on purpose we're not supposed to be racing each other and stuff and then um, when I got home felt fine I was I cleaned up all my stuff got all my stuff ready for tomorrow to uh, work out again that's a big one too. If uh, you come home and then just throw all your stuff on the ground and then go pass out, then you're dehydrated and all kinds of stuff. So, I'm not sure if I'm really recommending this, but I tried it. 
and it really seems to have worked. And what, again, what I did was a quarter teaspoon of just salt, just regular old table salt. Don't get these things wrong, you know? Don't do like a quarter tablespoon by accident. It's a quarter teaspoon. It's a lot of sodium. <laughs> and you gotta be careful with sodium too because it messes with your blood pressure and stuff because it plumps you up. And it was just fantastic, absolutely fantastic. I had a really, really good ride. So I'm really excited about that. I uh, was excited to get on the mic and record the rest of this. One of the things I do in these uh, hot, hot months of training is I put my camelback, I ride with a camelback, A, and then B, I put my camelback in the freezer. That way it stays clean when I'm done with a, done with a ride and try to put it in the freezer. That way it won't develop mold. That's a pro tip right there. And then C, when you put it in the freezer, fill it at least uh, about a third full of ice, or of water, I mean. And then when you put it in the freezer, the next time you go uh, train, it'll be, it'll have a big block of ice in it. And then you just add more water to it as you go. And you'll have an ice cold drink. The, um, pretty much like two, three hours. And mine is a, uh, I think it's a two liter, two and a half liter Camelback. When Kai and I uh, did our gravel ride and it was insanely hot uh, to, that was a three hour ride. Uh, I had ice water all the way to the end. It, and uh, what you can do is if you put a big enough block of ice in there, if you put enough water in to, to freeze overnight, then when you stop to take a whiz or whatever when you put more when you load up your bike with more water put that water in the camel bag and that will uh, continue to um, the big block of ice if you have any left over will make that water colder as well all right i'm about to pick up kai and i think that's it be back in a minute and help. all right i'm back i turn off this bob's burgers <laughs> Really love Bob's Burgers. Such a great show. Anyway, it's in the evening on the same day that I went on my long mountain bike ride I just spoke about a minute ago. And felt really great and got on the treadmill. And I've got a race coming up that is off-road and has... Uh, it's a mountain bike trail and probably an aid station every mile. And uh, because it's it's pretty hilly and... On the treadmill, what I would do is set it to a 12% grade every eight minutes. And I was doing this on purpose because probably walk the aid stations uh, to make sure that the fluids go down. Because if you're running while you uh, fuel, and especially while you fuel, then um, you miss, uh, you don't get enough water and, and fuel in you. And it, and it settles your stomach for a second so that you can uh, absorb the stuff. And so what I like to do is build it in. I like to build things in together so things are intertwined and multi-purpose. And uh, so like instead of going to the gym and doing squats, what I do is I have a treadmill with 12% grade <laughs> and uh, run hills until it burns, just like you're doing a squat. And then that way you're getting the uh, muscle 
growth and strength work and all that other stuff while doing the movement exactly like you're going to do in the race and uh, it ends up working fantastic and so i was doing um if i was racing i would probably be doing about an eight minute mile and so then i'm hitting the aid stations every eight minutes theoretically and, uh walking the aid stations real quick and then a great time to walk is when a hill gets too steep. So what I do is at seven minutes, I set it to 12% grade and I run for about a minute. Uh, it's increasing, the, you know, it takes like 15 seconds for it to get up to 12% grade from zero. And I run it uh, and about a minute in, you know, it really starts to burn pretty good. And I have to decrease the speed and everything, I think down to like four, four and a half miles an hour. And then I hit, you know, 2.5, 2.3, kind of depends, miles per hour. And, but I keep the grade steep. And that's on purpose because if you're doing things like I like to do, uh, ultra long distance trail running, like say Rocky Raccoon, 100 miler, things like that, the, you need to be able to practice hiking fast uh, uphill, especially. Uh, the best way to survive a 50 miler or a 100 miler race is to walk anything steep uphill and that saves you of uh, you know for the rest of the run and it's just a really good it's really good and really smart thing to practice is being able to walk fast uphill and also walking anything really steep like 12 percent grade and so it's all folded in you know like 12 percent grade hill and then that starts to burn enough where it's kind of like doing strength work it's, it's exactly like doing strength work in fact, that's what strength work wants to replicate is what I just did. It's better than strength work. And then, uh, you know, I need to walk at that point. So then I kick it down to two, three miles per hour. So now I'm walking speed, but still anywhere between six and 12% grade at this point. And then I, while I'm walking, uh, but uphill, <laughs> pretty steep, I take on a little bit of fuel and a lot of water and then after about 30 seconds or so of that, I feel pretty good and I can start running again. So I kick the speed back up and then hit 0% grade on the treadmill and the treadmill starts going back down flat and uh, the speed starts picking up, picking up, picking up. And then I start running uh, normal running speed again. And there's two things about this is one, it is epic, epic uh, long distance triathlon and also ultra marathon trail running. Uh, but Ironman training too, uh, to really uh, give your legs that strength so that you can survive long, long times on your feet. The other thing is it makes the time on the treadmill go by super fast because it's eight, eight minutes, man. Bam, bam. You got to do it again, do it again, do it again. And the, uh, the thing that happened today though was it felt great. Everything was fine. And about an hour in, I felt a little bit of a strain in my left foot, which was really weird because it's my right foot that has problems. Although my left foot historically has had some problems, but I felt like a strain a little bit. It felt really weird under the uh, left foot and you know, 12% grade. And also I went mountain biking earlier today and I do flat pedals uh, on purpose so that I can uh, dab and also run off the bike crazy fast. It got, it moved me up a place in a race, uh, off-road triathlon once. And especially uh, if this race goes on to be the five hour race, it's uh, half Ironman swim, then 
five, like five or six mile mountain bike ride, two mile run, Re repeats over and over and over again. And so switching back and forth and in each one of those takes about an hour, so it's a five hour race. We're talking about almost five times, uh, five times. So it's actually 10 times, I guess, that you're transitioning. And if you're wearing, uh, if you're doing flat pedals and running shoes, then man, uh, you save a ton of time not uh, switching shoes. A lot of time, it's, it's pretty cool. Anyway, uh, that's why I was practicing that. And tennis shoes um, don't have running shoes, don't quite have the uh, support that um, clip-ins do. And so my arch was kind of talking back to me a little bit. And like I said, it started hurting around one hour in. So I started thinking about quitting because my goal was to do an hour and a half. And it was actually okay. But then I decided, you know what, um, I don't need any problems. <laughs> so I cut it at, and then I decided I'd had enough. And I felt fine. I could have kept energy-wise and aerobically and strength and everything. I was fine. But the, uh, the left foot was kind of tweaked a little bit. But, you know, when you train, you're, you hit a limiter of some sort. And you got to be careful, you know, how much you push that limiter during that workout. Because if you push it too hard, whatever that limiter is, you could uh, hurt yourself or you know screw things up. And one example is if you're if you go run, what, something will fail first usually if somebody's new to running. Their legs will either um, hurt too much and they can't move their legs, or they can't breathe, one or the other, and they run out of oxygen. It kind of depends and. The um, it takes a well-trained athlete to be balanced at both both kind of at the same time. It's kind of imperceptible, but when you start out and you're, or you're just kind of an average beginner to average triathlete, one thing gives out before the other, and that's how you know uh, what needs more training. If your legs give out from fatigue, then um, that's the thing that needs training. But if aerobically that you're fine, uh, you know your aerobic system's great. But you know you could have the other way. Good example is when I went to uh, Durango and I'm running at 8,000 feet or mountain biking at 8,000 feet. You know, of course I run out of air first. My air system needs training much, uh, to catch up first because I can't keep up with my legs. Anyway, um, needed to back off a little bit so that my uh, foot didn't uh, become a, <laughs> the, not just the weakest link in the chain, but the, the broken link in the chain. And I thought it was actually pretty smart. A little disappointed I didn't do the full hour and a half. But at hour 17, what's, what's the difference, right? And then it's also smart to uh, quit while you're ahead when you still got a big day the next day. And then that next day will be better. And I am planning on doing uh, two and a half to three hours on the mountain bike tomorrow morning. We'll see. Uh, a lot of it depends on if the bike holds up because the front derailleur is, uh, it's, got a, it's got a dual double chain ring in the front, which I kind of like because it's like a quick bailout gear. <laughs> and the, uh, my, this, I'm riding Kai's bike and my, uh, my personal bike, Kai, we switched and my personal bike is a one by in the front and then I got electronic shifting on, on the back and it's awesome. But it's a hardtail and Kai wanted to switch for a little bit and we're both riding the same size bike kind of. And with some, you know, some modifications of adjusting the handlebar height and things like that, and stem length, and uh, you know swapping pedals and things. 
Uh, we got it, gosh, for like a month now, we've been riding each other's bikes. And I used to have a full suspension a long time ago, a really nice one. I had a Cannondale full suspension forever ago. And, you know, I miss it. Full suspension's fantastic. And I've really been enjoying it. But anyway, this derailleur, the chain uh, gets wedged between the derailleur and the uh, chain rings. It's really weird. So Kai and I, we didn't even know, we didn't even know really what was going on. I just heard like this dragging and every once in a while it gets kind of jammed and stuff like that. And so uh, <laughs> I picked up Kai from the bike shop, you know, and we came home and then he, he looked at it because I said, dude, this is actually, he was asking to start riding that bike again. And I said, yeah, uh, by the way, <laughs> you know, because it's all jammed up to help me um, take a look at it. And so it was kind of cool, you know, it was actually really cool to have a bike shop employee in my house looking at my bike. And he's no, he knows so much more than uh, just like a few weeks ago already. And uh, he asked if we had a three-way. I was like, what? And so what he's talking about is the tool that has three Allen wrench, um, three hex wrench heads sticking out of it. At, what is that? Uh, not 180, what is it a 210 degree angle, uh, 120 degree angles coming out of it? Anyway, and I said, what'd you say? Because <laughs> he's 15. He goes, a three-way. I wish we had a three-way. <laughs> so uh, I was uh, changing clothes and kind of laughing to myself. And I said, do they call it that at the bike shop? And he said, yeah. And I said, do they just call out across the bike shop in the back area? Hey, anybody have a three-way? I, I want a three-way like that. And he goes, yeah. I was like, yeah. Dude, that's a... Um, that's uh, the description for three people having sex at once. And he was like, huh? <laughs> I was like, I'm glad you don't know that. So it's kind of funny. I said they're giggling and smirking, you know, when they say it. And he said a little bit. And I was like, yeah, that's probably what's going on. Anyway, he, uh, we fiddled with the front derailleur forever and trying to get it you know, up and down and then got out pliers and like tried to bend it. So it quits grabbing the uh, front chain ring. And it, it's not, it's not good. It's not a good situation. I don't think it's ever going to be fixed. It, it needs a new front derailleur probably. Probably got banged up against something. Anyway, that's it. Um, I'm going to get off the mic because I'm going to watch some more Bob's Burgers and have dinner. I'm starving. Be right back. All right, we are back. I did a repeat of yesterday's mountain bike ride. And it ended in a horrible fashion of uh, overheated. I was starting to get uh, heat exhaustion pretty bad. And I've got my, I've got my uh, feline coach here, Suji, the Zentri house cat. He's looking at me. He's starting to get hungry. So we may get some meows here in a second. I'm in the living room. He wants me to feed him. But uh, yeah, I should have known something was up because when I got up this morning and made a little bowl of cereal, the milk tasted exceptionally fantastic and wet and good in my mouth. And I was like, oh, so milk is so good. I should have taken that as a sign that I was dehydrated because uh, it did not taste like I'd been out in the desert and uh, for three years. It should not taste like I've been out in the desert for three years and that milk is like uh, ice cold Gatorade or something. <laughs> and then the other thing that I screwed up was Oh, wait, let me back up. If you wake up in the morning, the thing that you usually eat and drink, uh, the 
if it tastes like you need the water part of it, the liquid part of it really bad. Like you just, oh, it tastes so good. Then that's a sign you're dehydrated. And then the other thing I didn't do was I didn't weigh myself and I should have done that. I got away from weighing myself and I'm trying to build up every morning and I'm trying to build up the habit again. And so I didn't. And honestly, I should have weighed myself last night. The thing is, is you, know, you get into weighing yourself, you're starting to get in that kind of disordered eating kind of habit. But I guess not exactly so if you're doing it for hydration. And my scale, I've got a scale that shows hydration levels, but I guess I don't really trust it or believe it or you know, I just never do it. But anyway, if I had done that, if I had uh, weighed myself and I would have noticed that I was down a lot. And then I also would have uh, drank more overnight and this morning before I headed out. Because I started uh, biking and I noticed while I was biking, even though I started, I started half an hour earlier, that I was sweating a lot, a lot more than usual. And like I was pushing the pace really hard, even though I didn't feel like I was. And then I noticed that my times per section were slower, even though I was sweating a lot. And even though I felt like I was doing about the same effort, but I was significantly slower with, uh, yeah, just feeling kind of bleh. And uh, feeling, uh, yeah, just when I'm sweating, a lot, and then I'm, I'm losing all that hydration. Even though I felt like I showed up pretty hydrated, and I got about less than two hours in, but then uh, I noticed my hands were cramping. And what I get, when I get dehydrated, I get cramps all over. That's one way to tell the, the difference between dehydration versus, uh, well, cramps from dehydration versus cramps from overexertion. If it's from overexertion, trying too hard, then you get cramps in the muscles that you're using. If it's from dehydration, you get cramps all over. And I was getting cramps in my hands and then a little bit of my forearm and bicep if I was reaching in my jersey pocket behind my back. And my ice water thing was just kicking ass, by the way. <laughs> that was great. But I was running out of water. In fact, I'd run out of water at about two hours in. And I was uh, pedaling back to the car and I was having to take breaks in the shade. And the thing is, is this one area towards the end of the ride is really in, a, uh, in the bowels of the forest down deep. And there's no, even though it's shaded, there's no breeze. And uh, on the way back, I, I was uh, noticing that, um, now mentally, I've got a note of where there's many places of where to stop in the shade where there's like a field around it. So then the breeze comes through so I can stand in the shade, but a breeze is, is coming uh, through uh, because there's no brush around there. Sorry, I just took a, a sip of water and it's uh, carbonated water, which I've added online. I found uh, grapefruit powder. So one packet, it's kind of like a sugar packet, but it's, it doesn't have any sugar in it and you, uh, you pour it in your water and uh, it makes your water taste grapefruity and they have lemon and orange and stuff. And man, it's good. <laughs> it's really, really good. I got off Amazon. Let me go see the name of it. I think Zoe wants to come inside. You wanna come inside? I just wanna stand there. 
that means she wants me to come outside. I'm not going outside, man. It's a billion degrees. Heat index today was 103 degrees. I'm out there doing it. Trying to do a, I thought I was going to do a three hour bike ride. <laughs> Let me tell you how that didn't happen. Where's the, uh, where's the little packets? I have them somewhere. I'll wander around here. Yeah, I hear you, buddy. Okay, well, I'll find them and talk about them uh, later. I don't know where the little packets went. Let me look a little bit longer. Ah, found them. Okay. It's true. The one I've got is grapefruit. True grapefruit. Made from real grapefruits. But the first ingredient is actually citric acid. And then it's uh, grapefruit. Juice and the peel. Man, it's really good. So it'll make you want to drink more water. Just, it's super easy to add to water. Very portable, little packets. Anyway, so I was having to stop starting at about oh, less than two hours and um, just constantly to try to cool down so I could keep going. I was going so easy trying to pedal and get back to the uh, car. And, you know, trying to make, I just created a new saying. I thought of it a few minutes ago. Make, make uh, gravy out of gravel. <laughs> Trying to make gravy out of gravel, I uh, was like, okay, well, this is good heat training and such. You know, I mean, it really isn't. I don't need that much heat training. Oh, my God. And uh, when I got home, I've, I found I'd lost 10 pounds. In, uh, and that's, I must guarantee you, that's all water weight. You want to come inside? Okay, now Zoe wants to come inside. 10 pounds is too much water to lose in just two and a half hours. That shows you how hot it was. And uh, yeah, I was getting heat exhaustion, probably felt like 100 degrees. And I um, got back to the car and cooled down and I've got to make more gravy out of gravel. I've actually got, I was thinking while I was riding, I've got some tips of things that I do while mountain biking that I've learned or, uh, or I figured out on my own. So one is when you get off the bike and then you start pedaling again, make sure that the right in front of your front tire and back tire too, but mostly your front tire, that it has a smooth path in front of it. If you hop on your bike and start trying to pedal and you got one, one foot on one pedal and then not on the other, almost anything that is uh, even slightly blocking your wheel path uh, will cause... <laughs> your bike to want to stop and then you have to fall over again it's a really good trick i picked i forgot where i heard that picked that up somewhere also you know when you're riding in a heavily wooded area in and out of the sunlight it's uh, sunglasses are actually a bit of a problem and because you need them while you're in the sun but then you dive into the dark and then bam you know you got a problem and you should always ride a bike with some sort of eye protection uh, i've been riding my bike 15 miles an hour, 10 miles an hour down a road and a car went by and it threw a piece of gravel and it hit me in the glasses and shattered my glass lenses. <laughs> that would have taken out my eye. And then mountain biking too, you get a lot of stuff in you, you get a branch in the eye. And stuff. But anyway, my favorite by far mountain biking glasses, and these would, I would get if I lost them, are, they're clear, but with blue tint. So very light blue tint. They're not shaded. So I can actually, when I, when you go from being in the sun to in the, into the dark, the, um, the pat, the, uh, you can still see really, really well. And I found that a light blue 
tint added to my vision it puts me in a really nice mood really great mood and you know this has been proven it kind of depends on the person if uh if you want you, you can try different colored lenses on things and kind of see how it makes you feel and don't be surprised it make you feel a certain way and i've actually got a pair of sunglasses that have a um that i wear the rest of the time that are you know have shade to them but they have a sort of a bluish tint to them as well and i feel great when i when i uh, when i wear these things just drive in or if i was road biking out in the open sun i would wear the other ones or or i got some other polarized ones but the uh, don't ask me what brand they are i'm I bought expensive sunglasses a couple times early in my life, and I found the, the magic ratio of, of, uh, of disaster is that the more you spend on sunglasses, the more likely, the faster you're gonna lose them or break them. And it's crazy. So every time I go to the drugstore, I walk through and I just kind of walk by the, um, the sunglasses kiosk little things you know that they've got and you can get polarized good quality sunglasses for 20 something bucks and what you're looking for is ones that have a little bit of rubberized in the uh, on the nose bridge and uh, if you can that's the most important part and then the part that goes over your ear if that's got a little bit of a uh, rubbery material on it to keep that'll keep it from sliding off and then you're set anyway in the car, I keep, whenever I go mountain biking, I have a uh, gallon jug of water. And that came in handy today because I was overheated and I'm standing there and I was able to pour water over my body to cool down and it really helped a ton. And then also I have a uh, pressure washer that you can hand pump in my car. And I use that uh, if uh, we've been mountain biking and then it's muddy and there's too much mud and stuff on the, on the bikes and uh, it's going to be kind of a yucky day or whatever. If you spray down your bike and clean it to get all the mud off uh, before uh, you, you set off on your drive, then your bike will dry off on, on your drive home. It's like, it's like the coolest, coolest thing. And then, uh, God, Seth's hacks, maybe I saw that one time. But you can go to Lowe's and for like 10, 15 bucks, I uh, buy a pressure. It's like a um, insecticide sprayer or something like that that you just hand pump and then you can spray your bike down. It's not crazy powerful, but it does the job to get the stuff off of your suspension fork and off of the um, drivetrain more than anything. You want to get that off and get your bikes nice and nice and clean. And then you have that on the drive home. I mean, it dries off on the drive, dry, drive home. And then uh, you can just put your bikes away. It's pretty cool. And then also in my car, I keep a little cooler and in it, I'll have either uh, carbonated drinks or um, even a beer because we could do that where I, where I ride. And then um, also the thing that I use to keep, one of the things I use to keep the cooler cold is I have like, it's about 20 ounce water bottle in there that's full of 
uh, that's been in the freezer. So it's full of ice. So then if, when it melts, I can actually drink it. <laughs> the device to keep the, uh, the cooler cold is also drinkable, which I actually needed today because I was so hot. It was really not. I was like, man, I need more water to cool down. And I was like, oh yeah, I can just drink this. Anyway, so I have like this to-go kit for uh, the end of, of my uh, mountain bike ride. And I'll think of a couple more things. All these things were coming to my mind while I was riding. And uh, of course I can't write it down or else I'll crash. But I thought we should wrap up the show with how many miles and hours of stuff I did over the week, just for fun. You can see what somebody that's training kind of at the half Ironman, three quarters of an Ironman, <laughs> three, quarter, three quarter ton truck is uh, doing. And I swam three times, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, almost an hour each, about an hour each. And uh, 1,100 yards, 1,100, 11,000 yards. So about just under 4,000 yards each time. That's pretty nice. And... That's pretty typical. Um, I try to not stop much while swimming and try to get in a lot of volume. With I mean, that's a lot of that's a lot of distance in just uh, three swims, which I'm uh, always happy to have done. And then we can move on to biking. Let's see. I did three trainer rides, and I did them all in a row: uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Interestingly enough, an hour each on Zwift riding around Watopia, and those I did uh, no coasting. And the first time you do it, it you're, you're thinking it's impossible. Then do it as long as you can, and then, and then uh, you know, go back to coasting. And then the second time uh, you do it, the next day, a couple days later, it'll be way easier. And then the third time, you actually, it's like addictive to not coast. And then you learn how to not push very hard but you're getting in like secret watts all the time because you're not coasting. You just gotta be gentle and then it works out. It's really cool and it cleans up your pedal stroke a lot. And let's see. Oh, and then we had yesterday's mountain bike. <laughs> I got the funny numbers here. And then today's mountain bike. Uh, yesterday's was two hours. Today was two and a half hours. Where did it go? But. Yesterday, feeling good and being properly hydrated, I did uh, almost 20 miles an hour uh, mountain biking. Oh, yeah, because we mixed in some gravel roads on that uh, towards the end. I did 15 minutes of um, gravel road. Hey, psst, stop that cat. And the, uh, yeah, 19.9 miles, 20 miles. Let me open that up. So in two hours, I almost did 20 miles. Let me look at the map and make sure I didn't leave it on, my watch on while I was driving or something like that. No, I don't think so. Are you serious, Brett? Oh, that's 10 miles an hour. I was thinking that was 20 miles an hour somehow. No. <laughs> it was not. Okay, good. That was, I was starting to think something was up there. What did I do? And let's go back to uh, the other one. So today was so, oh, where's my run? I ran yesterday afternoon and it didn't record it. Oh, wait, yeah, it did. And then uh, today I biked another half of an hour, over two and a half hours, and I only went 17.7 miles. 
So it just shows you like how uh, I went longer, a longer time and actually went a shorter distance. <laughs> Although there wasn't as much gravel road mixed in, but I couldn't have because I was melting down in the forest. And then uh, yesterday, let's go, uh, well, let's talk about that. Uh, how many, I'm looking at training peaks and on training peaks uh, for your coaching tip of the week is you want to always be looking at your total duration. So your duration per sport and duration per uh, total. And, um, and then your, your miles is kind of give or take a little bit. kind of depends. If you're doing something consistently, the same type of riding, then the same route, then the mileage is interesting. Uh, but definitely the time. And uh, we'll get to it in a second, but I've already done 14 and 14 hours and 38 minutes and i haven't even done this evening's run and we're gonna this evening's run is gonna be debatable i don't know if i'm gonna be able to swing that because i'm still trying to rehydrate but the uh running oh wait biking miles oh they broke out mountain bike that's interesting so i biked how many hours does it not have uh bike time hmm my totals at the end of the week doesn't show the time per sport I thought it did. Anyway, three hours swimming. Let's let's uh, look at the biking. Three hours on the trainer plus two plus a uh, four and a half. So that's seven and a half hours of biking. Pretty good. And um, that, so the trainer work gives you lots of uh, triathlon position. You know, aero bars and things like that. And then I like to mountain bike on the weekends if I can because that gives you uh, power and um, also sanity. Being in the woods is a lot of fun. And let's switch over to running. I ran, ran, I ran Monday. Hmm, it's interesting. I wonder if I ran, did I run on Sunday before? This is Sunday, anyway, no, I did not run the day before. So I ran Monday, Tuesday, then took a break. Ran Thursday, then took a break, and then ran yesterday. So, you know, nicely spaced out, four runs. Um, the first three were all an hour. Some of them were outside. A couple of them, one of them was inside. And then yesterday's was inside, and that's the one where I was, I was aiming for an hour and a half, and then I cut it short an hour 17 because of my foot. I talked about that. So let's see. So far, I've run 26.6 miles. Hmm pretty good so if i ran again today that would put me at uh 15 and a half hours about a little bit more because i like to run for an hour i like to do my shortest workouts ultra distance stuff you kind of get in this mindset of you know less than an hour i mean like what's the point <laughs> i'm not saying that's the right way to handle things but that's what i do and so i like to run an hour and for an hour that would give me 32, 33 miles of running for the week. That would be perfect. So um, then, yeah, in 15 and a half hours of training. Cool. All right, I'm going to take a break from the mic. I'll probably think of a couple other mountain biking uh, tips and tricks when I, um, as soon as I get off the mic, you know, they'll come to my mind. But <laughs> I'll be right back. Hold on. All right, we are leaving the pool. This will be the last entry. I thought I would do one 
to see how the swim goes after a nice solid week of training. I did not run last night because of uh, still a little bit dehydrated. You can tell by the pee, it's a little bit too dark. And I uh, would have needed caffeine to get that workout in. I'm trying to cut back on that a little bit. And today I feel way, way better. It's Monday morning. And so I'm glad I did what I did. I took a nap instead. <laughs> nap like a pro. Guy at work said that I didn't strike him as the type that would nap. I guess because I do so much active stuff. And I was like, dude, I am a pro at napping. It's like my favorite hobby. Anyway, on the swim, managed to squeeze in another 50 yards for 3,750 in the same amount of time as before, same amount of effort. So I'm pretty excited about that. Ooh, I've got one of these uh, grapefruit things. Hold on, I'm gonna make it real quick. so good where's my keys oh my god what i do with my keys am i sitting on them there they are <laughs> i do an ice cup a yeti cup full of ice on the way to the pool all the way to the top and then i have the ability to have ice water when i'm done which is really really nice So a great way to train is to do the same thing for a while and improve and improve and improve until you stop improving and then change. So I've been doing the same 10 minute long, well, like 600, 625, basically leaving on the 10 minutes and doing pool boy and uh, fins what was the other thing? Oh, and just regular freestyle. And trying to get my swim speed back up to what it was before the coronavirus shut down all the pools. And that would be around 125, 124 per 100 yards at just a cruising speed, which gives you an hour, just a tad under an hour swim for an Ironman. And that's a great place to be. Trying to work myself back up there. I'm holding about a 126, 127 right now. And the thing is, it's just to be patient. And if you do the same consistent workout time after time after time, and you're getting a little bit faster each time, then it's working. Don't change it. <laughs> and then eventually you won't get any faster and then that's when you actually need to change it. It's a very Zen thing. It's the saying, uh, it, that'll work until it doesn't. So use it.
know, this is a really big thing right now, trying to get back into the pool for everybody, if you can even, and start swimming again. How do you get back in? How much slower are you? How do you ramp back up to where you were? Well, the thing is to ramp up gently. You, you're not your former you, so you've got to do it uh, gently and be patient. And then you'll, if your times are getting faster, then you're doing the right thing. All right, I think that's it. I'm about to get into W to the ERK, get some work done. And so I thought I would leave off with a little note that I am about to have one more coaching slot open. And if you want to reach out for full on triathlon coaching using Training Peaks and the industry standard for the best training in the world, on customized coaching, then send me an email at texafornia, T-E-X-A, texafornia at gmail.com. And we can talk, see if you're a, a good matchup for one-on-one coaching as in Triway. All right. Everybody stay safe out there. Work the uphills, cruise the downhills, and keep the rubber side down. Out. <laughs>